Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. I'm Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. My name is Chris Casey. I'm Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss. And this week we are talking about, I don't know, what are we talking about? <laughs> supply chains and local food. Local food and supply chains. Something that I don't understand. <laughs> Today on the show, we have two awesome folks from the Chicago Good Food nonprofit Family Farmed. We have Anna Croft, who is a program manager, and Bob Benison, the communications manager. Hi, great to be here. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks a lot. It's great to be on. So Anna, you and I have chatted before, but Bob, you and I actually have never met. I was wondering if you guys could, and neither of you guys have met Dad, I was wondering if you guys could give a little introduction about you and what you do for Family Farmed and maybe a little background on Family Farmed as an organization Okay, and kind of the... Just uh-huh. for the record, we met 10 minutes ago. I don't know where you were or what you were doing, <laughs> but we were chatting it up. <laughs> well, then just for the listeners at home. We, we are old friends by now. That's right. <laughs> Um, Well, I can start um, and then I can kind of let Bob give the history of Family Farms since he's been around for quite a while. Um, So my name is Anna. I am the uh, I work on our farmer training and market development programs, um, mainly with the farmer training, working with our farmer trainer, Tina Diffley, to carry out trainings all across the country. We've done trainings in about about 48 of the 50 states by now. Um, And a lot of those focus heavily um, on on farm food safety and trying to make sure that we're preparing um, beginning farmers or even farmers who just want to add kind of like, you know, revamp their operations um, so that they can practice like proper um, food safety, understand things like the Food uh, Food Modernization Act and um, get them prepared for GAP certification, which is like good agricultural practices um, in case they want to become certified. Um, And so our trainings are a mixture of that. And then we also focus on helping them to get into new markets, whether that's direct marketing, things like CSAs and farmers markets, or um, wholesale marketing if they want to um, sell to restaurants or to um, bigger distributors. Um, And then on the market development side of things, what we do is we kind of try and partner get farmers products into stores, um, whether it's wholesale distributors or smaller retailers. Um, and so it kind of works across the organization with our other programs, like the good food accelerator, which is a, um, a program that focuses on local kind of beginning food entrepreneurs. And so a lot of what market development does is helps them to, um, get opportunities with retailers so we can be getting, get their program, uh, get their products onto the shelf. Um, and so my job is to just coordinate those programs to um, make connections, to help kind of with grant deliverables, um, make sure that we're kind of staying on track. So that's the majority of my work. Awesome. That is so interesting. Bob, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your piece and the rest of Family Farmed? Okay, sure. Um, I came to this as a second career. Um, I'm a career journalist. I spent uh, uh, 30 years in Washington, D.C., uh, covering politics, covering elections. Um, my wife grew up on a farm about 45 uh, miles south of Chicago. So I'm, uh, I, I kind of inherited, literally inherited the farm after her dad passed away in 2008. And um, uh, I've always had a passion for food. So when I moved out here in uh, 2011, uh, we just love Chicago. Um, I decided that uh, I really wanted to work 
with people who are working at the grassroots community level to affect positive change. And, and it could have gone in a lot of different directions. But fortunately, I met Jim Slama, our CEO, um, uh, about eight years ago now. And um, I was able to, uh, you know, build a career in uh, food, good food advocacy. Um, Jim started uh, Family Farmed out of, it evolved out of an organization that started earlier in 1996 called Sustain, which was an environmental advocacy and um, uh, marketing uh, company. They, they would run uh, uh, media campaigns in support of environmental uh, issues. And um, he started working on some campaigns like uh, in 1998 to um, uh, enforce strong organic standards. This is when they were first creating the USDA organic standards. And there were some ridiculous things that uh, agribusiness was trying to push through, like you could grow in sewage sludge and uh, still have it uh, regard, uh, certified as organic. So they blocked, uh, they played a big role in blocking that. And over the next few years, Jim recognized that there were a lot of major organizations doing environmental advocacy, but practically nobody was doing good food and nobody was working to connect local farmers with um, with buyers. This was before anybody ever heard of a good food movement, really. It was very embryonic then. Um, in 2004, they launched uh, the Good Food Expo, which remained the flagship of Family Farms until last year, and then we discontinued it because we were doing other programming. And that was, it was actually called the Local Organic Trade Show, and um, that was its purpose. It was uh, to connect farmers with buyers. Mm -hmm. um, the name was changed to Family Farmed officially in 2006. Again, very farmer-oriented. The farmer training program that Anna was describing uh, became uh, a reality in 2008. And it's been based on a series of manuals that uh, Anna will get into uh, more uh, in more detail. The first was Wholesale Success, which was aimed at helping farmers who are a little bit more advanced and, ma and mature um, to get into uh, wholesale markets. Then uh, direct market success, which we published in 2016, and I played, I was already on board, and I played a role in that. And that was aimed at farmers who, like many uh, early stage farmers, get their feet wet and get uh, and build market by direct marketing, farmers markets and CSAs and uh, and, and direct to restaurant things like that. And then um, food safety has always been a premier issue, and so a non-farm food safety manual and website was created. Family farm has changed a little bit over the years because the market has changed. Now there is a good food movement. There's a massive population that is concerned about health and wellness, uh, environmental sustainability, and um, there are a lot of producers and investors involved in it. So other programs like our uh, Good Food Finance Innovation Conference, Good Food Accelerator, Naturally Chicago, which we started last year, are really engaged a lot in that. But um, I'll turn it back over to Anna tell you while we're still doing for farmers. Bob, you mentioned uh, the, the farmer success manuals. I got to say, I've used these manuals. They're good manuals. The other day, like two days ago, I actually had, a, I was talking to a farmer and he's like, have you seen this manual? I saw it once and it looks like really good content and I just can't seem to find it. I was like, oh, do you mean this manual? It's a great manual. <laughs> yeah. So many of the farmers uh, who have used it have told us that it's dog-eared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in their workspace. They use it every day. So yeah, it's a it's, a, it's been a real uh, uh, mainstay. For, I will say, well, yeah. I was going to say, mm -hmm. I've, I've never, you talking about the good food movement, I had never heard of the good food movement. And I think you described it pretty well, but I had never heard it called that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if if either of you guys could maybe give a more expanded definition of good food because we've never actually talked about it on the show. Uh, and I know it kind of goes beyond just organic and local and kind of those those more common commonly heard labels. I was wondering if, if either of you guys were, were able to give kind of a more expanded definition of that. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in because I've, I've actually done a, little, a lot of work on our mission and vision. And uh, we define it as accessible and delicious food that is produced as locally as possible using sustainable, humane, and fair practices. So it covers a lot of ground. It covers environmental issues. It covers labor issues. It covers health and wellness issues. And it covers food accessibility. Um, The vision statement that Family Farm has had for a long time is good food on every table. And I would Mm -hmm. underline in all caps every because that's the intention. There are too many people um, are excluded from this, and we're expanding our programming to reach people in under-resourced communities, lower-income people, to make sure that they have uh, equitable access to the same kind of good, healthy food and sustainable food that we want for, for everybody and that people um, better financial means already have accessible to them. Uh, Anna? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I I agree with all of that. I think that's a pretty succinct definition of the good food movement. Um, it's definitely like kind of an intersectional approach to um, to just providing like from the environment to labor to people, making sure everyone has access to good food. So I think you described it perfectly, Bob. Thanks. <laughs> this interview is going to be kind of part of a larger series we're doing talking about local food. Um, and as a part of that, we talked to an urban farmer and we talked to a farmer's market manager. Um, and I kind of wanted to bring you guys on to get that more broader view of what it really looks like to incorporate local food into like the food system and into the supply chain. Um, and I was wondering, Anna, if you could talk a little bit about, about your work, but also like your views on, on kind of why what what drew you to this work? One of the things that I've really enjoyed in these interviews is learning like how people got to the good food food movement and and the local food movement because I feel like people just often take the the really really interesting paths I guess to get here because it's something that that you know really kind of draws you in. Yeah. Um, so I got into uh, after I graduated college, I went to school in New York, and then I graduated and I moved down to Buenos Aires. Argentina, and I was working for uh, a software company. Um, and one thing that really struck me was uh, one of my first grocery shopping experiences in the city. I went, and my um, partner at the time wanted me to like pick up some chicken. And I went to the store, and I realized like they had run out of chicken. Like I like asked someone at the store, I was like, "Oh, do you have any more chicken left?" And they were like, "No, yeah, like you know, you gotta like get in early for that." And it was like a main, it was like a big like chain grocery store. And mm-hmm. I was just like, "How do you run out of chicken?" Like coming from the United States, like this land of abundance, and like you know, there's constantly like they're just restocking the shelves all the time. Um, and so it was really kind of like shocking to me. Um, and so kind of after that realization, I met. Um, a um a girl a, a woman who became a good friend of mine down there, and um she was really focused on like intersectional veganism, and a lot of that had like a huge food justice focus. And so I just kind of started to learn about all of this. I mean, it's happening in Argentina, but it was definitely happening in, happening in the U.S. Um, just like food disparity and quote unquote like food deserts. Um, and these are things that I never had to think about growing up because I grew up in a fairly 
um, you know, like a privileged background. And so I never had to, we never had to like struggle for, to find food. We had a grocery store, like, um, you know, less than a mile away from our house. Um, and I just started to think like, wow, like food is such like a fundamental, like human right. And the fact that there are structures in place to prevent people from having access to something that is just so basic um, and so really easy or should be easy to provide, it became something I care deeply about. Um, and so I kind of left the uh, software marketing world and um, I moved back to the U.S. and uh, became an AmeriCorps VISTA for an organization called the Regional Environmental Council. Um, the name is a bit misleading. They had more of a focus on urban farming um, and like food justice practices. And um, working with them, I was able to learn a lot about the importance of local food. Um, we did a lot of work around um, supplemental nutrition um, benefits like SNAP, um, making sure that farmers markets um you know, getting grants that would allow the local farmers markets to accept SNAP um, and then doing a lot of like advocacy and information outreach. So people knew that, you know, if they shopped at this farmers market, their benefits would be doubled. So you're essentially getting like 20 extra dollars in, you know, in free produce. Um, and so I think that you know, when we think about the importance of local food, I mean, it's important for so many reasons. And I think one thing that's been really illuminating about kind of COVID and this age that we're living in is that it's really laid bare all of the structural flaws that like big ag has caused, um, mm -hmm. you know, like having to ship, um, you know, to all these big grocery stores, like across the country, like not only is there like a lot of environmental degradation, but it's just not sustainable. And I think that's what we're really seeing right now. So yeah, there's like the environmental issue, but also like, like what Bob said, when thinking of labor, I mean, when you shop locally, if you go to a farmer's market, you're able to meet the farmer. I mean, usually the farmer or the people working on the farm are also the ones, and I know this because I worked on a farm as well. They're the ones at the market selling you the products that they grow. And so there's a transparency there. And I think that where you spend your money, it's like you have, a, it's a lot of power. And so you can make the choice, like I'm going to give my money to this farm and to this farmer because like I know, or I can figure out if they're using good labor practices. Whereas with big agriculture, you don't know. And a lot of the time it's very predatory on migrant farmers and they're making um, really low wages in very poor working conditions. And I mean, that's our government allows that. Um, so there's like, yeah, there's the human aspect. Um, but then it's also just, you know, I think when we shop locally, we also realize like tomatoes aren't in season in December, you know, like I think mm -hmm. that seasonality um, and like education around seasonality becomes really important because it, it can help people. It has all these like residual benefits too. It's like, okay, um, what's in season? Like I have to learn how to cook it. Um, and so I think it can help people to just like really deepen their relationship with food. Um, and it's like all of these like beautiful things coming together that makes shopping locally like so powerful and so important. Um, I, I do want to add that it's not always easy. Right. And like, I think that sometimes shopping at a farmer's market is like, you know, it's like you're privileged enough if you live near one and sometimes prices are really high. So that's why I think like, it's really important for benefits like SNAP, um, 
And like, you know, a lot of different farmers markets have like double food bucks being able to like get these grants so that people who are on um, supplemental nutrition benefits can like get kind of more bang for their buck because, um, you know, local food is great, but it can be expensive for a lot of people. So I just think we all need to be mindful about like never stopping to like push for that fight for access. Um, Sorry, such a tangent. (laughs) No, it's so true, though. I feel like I feel like access is can can be left out of the good food discussions um edwin marty actually i remember one time told me um he's the sustainability manager for the city of austin and one time he told me like yeah you can buy something organic but technically something organic like it could be certified organic and it could still have been grown with slave labor and like that's true right so like having this more holistic view of like what does it really mean for us as consumers to have these poor labor standards on the food that we're consuming and how is it considered ethical to basically force like poorer folks to have to buy food that can be grown, you know, with forced labor or with slave labor or, you know, other manipulative or or like other terrible labor practices. Like how is that ethical? Like we need to be talking more holistically about how we can all like vote – with our dollars and and eat food ethically and conscionably. Like obviously it's a it's you know a human need. Everyone has to eat, but also like why do we why do we think it's okay that if you can't go to the farmers market then you can then you just like have to buy this food that is unethically produced. Right. And I think that obviously like organic is super important and organic pra- organic practices are fantastic, but certification is something that can be really complicated and mm-hmm. like the paperwork is hard. It takes, you know, a pretty long time, especially if you've bought land that you then have to convert that can take like three years. Um, so a lot of farms, especially if you're just starting out and you don't have a ton of capital or you don't have a lot of money to put into it, the organic, the USDA organic certification process can be lengthy and costly, um, and time. consuming. Um, so what a lot of farms do is, and the farm that I worked on in Massachusetts did this, we followed organic practices. We did not use any pesticides. It was like totally old school, like organic farming, but we would go to the farmer's market and people would come up to our table and be like, well, is this organic? And we would explain like, well, we don't have the certification, but it's organic. And a lot of people would walk away because they want Mm -hmm. to see that stamp, um, which is is unfortunate. It's like, I'm empathetic because I understand like you want to make sure that your food is coming from a a place that is using organic pesticides. Um, But I wish that I think that more people are becoming aware that USDA organic doesn't necessarily mean all of these like great, wonderful things. Um, and I think things like certified naturally grown, which is kind of an alternative to certified organic is really great. Um, it's a lot less costly. It's a lot less time consuming. And it's basically like a peer review, like farmers in your area coming to your farm to ensure that you are, in fact, using organic practices. And I think it's a great alternative um, for a lot of farming folks. Right, for sure. Wow, this is awesome. What? Wait, what's awesome? This episode that we're recording right now with Bob and Anna. You know what else is awesome? What is awesome? All of our patrons. Uh, this episode, <laughs> of our we patrons. just wanted to take... A minute to go through and we're going to be thanking all of our patrons by name this episode. We've really loved doing this series on local food um, and these patrons made it possible and they made all of our series possible and they make it possible for us to continue making the show. Uh, and we wanted to go through and thank them all. If you're interested in joining our Patreon family and supporting the show, you can find it at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. 
So thank you to Lindsay, LD, Andrew, Vikram, Christopher, Cheyenne, Leah, Nicole, Dan, Megan, Maggie, Carrie, Kate, RC, Hope, Tim, Pat, Lex, and Andrew. You guys totally rock our worlds. You make all of this possible. And we are so, so, so grateful for you every day and especially today. Thank you so much. Back to the episode. Back to the episode. So I guess it's a pretty linear line to like knowing where your food comes from and shopping at the farmer's market. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that looks like when you start to scale up and try to get into retail or institutional purchasing. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that when – so with wholesale, I think that – so why – I think the reason that our – our farmer training program focuses so heavily on food safety um, is because when you start selling to institutions or selling into like wholesale market streams, um, you're kind of setting yourself up for like, you need to be able to track everything you're doing and have a record for everything you're doing. Because if say something like an outbreak happens that can shut your farm down forever. Um, So a lot of things that maybe you weren't farmers aren't thinking about when they're just doing like direct to consumer marketing um, really becomes like a liability and something they have to like think, think about um, in a very serious way. I think another thing um, that a lot of farmers or that we talk about, you know, when it comes to breaking into wholesale markets is you may not have um, your farm may not be in terms of like the produce that you're growing or the products that you're growing. It may not be as diversified as if you were doing, um, you know, like direct to consumer marketing, because you might want to figure out what grows really well in your soil and like focus on like those crops. Because the thing about wholesale markets is that, you know, you want, these buyers are hoping for um, like, you need to be able to give them the product they want and it needs to look really great. Um, because grocery stores don't like to have what we call like ugly produce. Um, so a lot of the focus is about, you know, it's food safety. It's about figuring out what you grow really well, and then maybe growing more of that and less of something else. Um, I think another thing that farmers, um, are resistant, the the reason in the beginning that they're resistant towards breaking into the wholesale market is because they have to lower their prices. So if you're selling, a bundle of Swiss chard at the farmer's market for four to $5 a bundle. Um, like wholesale, you're not going to be able to sell it that high because you're selling it at larger quantities. So you will get the return you want. But I think like if you've been doing direct marketing for so long and you see those prices cut in half or sometimes even like sliced further, I think it scares a lot of farmers away from moving into wholesale streams uh, because it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to make any money on this. But the great thing about wholesale is that it usually is a bit more secure. Um, that's what we try and tell farmers, like in the long term, if you can like build these relationships and that's sort of what these workshops will try and help them do. And that's definitely what the manual does. And I think that's why a lot of farmers refer back to it so often. Um, and we help them with like figuring out a pricing structure. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> so my head has gone down a little bit of a, a path of doom because I've heard y'all mention food safety several times. Mm-hmm. And the first time you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, yeah, people need to wash their vegetables. Mm-hmm. But then you said you you said outbreak. And I'm like, oh, it sounds much more complicated and in-depth than that. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of like 
your farm, the operation needs to be laid out in a certain way and you need to even be washing your vegetables in a certain way. Um, so that when someone from the health department shows up because there is like an E. coli outbreak in Romaine and you're in California and you sell Romaine, you need to be able to show them like day by day how you were harvesting, how you were washing. They need to come see where your washing stations are, where your compost pile is. Like all of that matters so much because they, you want to make sure you want to have a, a very detailed log that like, ensures that the outbreak was not from your farm. Um, and so that's what, that's what like these food safety logs really help you do is kind of avoid any, like any liability. It's like, look, here's my log. Our farm is good for this. We are following all these practices. Um, and it's really, really important. Um, especially for folks who want to like go and get further certifications. Right. And, and to be clear between like, this is, Food safety is an issue for all farms, not just farms that are local and selling, starting to sell into wholesale. But it's one of those carrying costs that like the bigger you are, the less percentage of the money you're spending it's going to cost. It's just one of those overhead costs. And so if you're switching from direct marketing out to like a farmer's market into something like a wholesale market to a grocery store, then it's going to be a much larger part of your costs because you're one, like starting all of these practices from scratch. They don't exist. And so you're having all of this like startup labor. And then two, also because you're often coming in with smaller production. So it's it's a lot of work and it just can kind of freak out farmers sometimes. But because food grows in the world, there is always a risk that there will be some kind of bacteria or something that will start to grow on food at some point. And farming's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things is, is that the uh, Centers for Disease Control has done a series of studies over the years, and they actually say that most food-borne uh, illnesses do not happen at the farm. It happens sometimes and you've got all these regulations and the farmers have a really significant burden in uh, making sure that uh, uh, best practices are followed. But most of the problems that occur are because of food handling after it leaves the farm. So, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the market in the, in the supply chain, uh, where wholesalers, um, uh, retailers, uh, people at home. Um, not washing their vegetables correctly or not, uh, uh, you know, storing them correctly. So, um, you know, the, the, it's, it's kind of a conundrum that the farmers really face the heaviest regulatory load here. And they may not be the people who are really uh, responsible for a lot of uh, uh, the foodborne illnesses and outbreaks that occur. So what are, what are some of the big challenges that you all face in your line of work? Well, you know, one is, one is public awareness. You know, if, if food has been so readily available and cheap in our society that, um, you know, people, a lot of people haven't really given it a second thought, you know, especially people who have the wherewithal where food insecurity is never an issue. And, um, you know, uh, getting people to understand the health and wellness consequences of what they eat, why they should eat uh, uh, better um, the, the huge rise of, um, uh, food, uh, food related illness in our society. It's costing lives. It's costing a lot of human suffering. It's raising our healthcare costs enormously. And getting that message through to people, though, 
is really hard. Uh, the high cost of cheap food. You know, um, if your um, food is grown with pesticides that poison the soil and, 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 and the waters and maybe get ingested into your system, or it's grown by, you know, uh, cheap labor practices that victimize you know, the lower, low-income workers, um, you, most people don't realize that. They don't realize that the long-term consequences, you know, are uh, what they they are because they're in separate buckets. You got the health healthcare bucket, you got the labor bucket, you got the equity bucket, and all these things. All they see is the price tag, and this bag of apples is 90, 99 cents, and that one is three dollars. And you know, people still mostly um, uh, buy food um, because they're price conscious. So this is an educational effort. That's really challenging. The only thing is, we you know we've seen a gradual rise in consumer awareness, and then COVID hit. And I think that this may be an inflection point. I hope I'm not being over optimistic when I say that, but that people are so much more focused on health and wellness because of the uh, uh, outbreaks, the hot spots that occurred in uh, the factory uh, production of meat, especially. Um, they're now more aware of factory farming and factory production um, uh, uh, practices. And a lot of people are becoming uneasy about that. And that's a good thing because they, the higher the, their level of awareness that not everything is right about our food system. And the more the seemingly infallible supply chain that gets you food to your table like that, I mean, there's, no, there's never been an issue before. Now it's got weaknesses, it's got flaws. People may be starting to recognize that buying from local farmers, know your farmer, know your food, uh, is the old anthem, is is important. And then when you add in the multiplier effect for local, um, local anything, buy local, if your food dollars, uh, if your dollars stay home, they actually have a bigger impact on uh, economic health and economic um, uh, vitality instead of sending your money away to Bentonville, Arkansas, or someplace like that. So, um, so you know, communication is a big challenge on this aspect, but I think we're making progress. Yeah, I think for the farmer trainings, one thing that's, that's always, I think it's always been difficult is sometimes just, you know, being able to get farmers to come to our training, just like farmers are really busy. Like they don't have vacations, they don't take breaks, like their farm is their life. And so we try and like structure the trainings around like an off season, like in the winter time, um, like January is a pretty good month, but it can be really hard to get folks to find, you know, to get them to come out. And that's just because they have like a ton of work on their plate. So I think one thing that I'm excited about and have been talking to Atina Diffley, um, our farmer trainer um, is this new opportunity of doing like virtual sessions um, and hopefully that will allow, um, you know, we used to have to do a lot of our trainings are, are grant funded. And so we would have to go to specific regions. But I think now this opportunity to host a training and then just have farmers for like a more national audience attend virtually, I think it's going to be a really, um, a really major opportunity. And so I'm kind of excited about that because I do think that outreach has been a difficult aspect in the past. I would just like to take a moment to say thank you because I have 
found nothing positive about this COVID COVID nineteen <laughs> outbreak, and finding some bright spots is great. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if if we learn from the experience and uh, and uh, move in the direction of a, of a healthier. Uh, because uh, a fairer society. Because, you know, one of the things about COVID-19 that's uh, established indisputably is that people with underlying health conditions were the most likely to contract the disease and most likely to uh, suffer severe uh, or fatal consequences. So if we can get people to eat better and provide better food for all people, then we're going to reduce the uh, the rise, or maybe even reduce the uh, the rate of diet related disease, and reduce this degree of vulnerability. So there's one positive takeaway. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, it's been such a joy talking with you guys. Um, do you guys have anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, or any calls to action anywhere to to connect with Family Farmed or anything like that? I think that um, I just want to kind of make like a, a a plug for Illinois, but also this is it's like it's a national um, kind of coalition. But buy fresh, buy local is a really great resource. Um, I don't know; it's definitely not in all fifty states, but um, you can look it up um, and you can see if your state is participating. It's basically an online resource where you can find farmers in your area, farmers markets in your area, um, retailers that uh, stock their shelves with pro- with products from local farms. Um, and so, and, 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 you know, we are a part of the steering committee for Buy Fresh by Local Illinois. Um, and a lot of amazing folks um, and organizations have put a lot of work into it. And if you're someone who has moved to a new area or you're just not even sure where your local farmer's market is, um, and especially if you're in Illinois, definitely look up by Fresh by Local because that will um, that will point you in the right direction to whatever you need in terms of like local farms and food. Yeah. And um, if anybody, uh, any, any of your listeners want to reach out to Anna and connect with her on farmer training and market development, uh, just send uh, an email to info at familyfarm.org and put uh, farmer training or market development in the subject line. And if anybody just needs general information about Family Farm, they can reach out to me at communications at familyfarm.org. And if you were to say one thing, people should eat local because... Um, uh, one word? Are you kidding me? No, not it. one word, but like your biggest... Your sort of most important reason for, you know, you should really eat local because... I would say because it really strengthens your community. Like, I think that building a really strong regional food system, it's like supporting your farmers, like, like that will just provide access to like better food and like more farms will be able to flourish. And I just think like getting to know your farmer, going to the farmer's markets, it's these moments that you know, when you're alone in the aisle at a grocery store, you're not able to kind of have that exchange. And so I think it really does build community. It's this kind of, there are a ton of other reasons that we talked about, but I feel like the the community building aspect is a really great part of buying and eating local food. Yeah. And um, it's better in so many ways than the ways that we've uh, been discussing. 
But let's face it, you're not going to convince people to eat anything if it isn't delicious, if they don't like, if it doesn't taste good. And I've often described far, you know, food for farmers markets or local food um, as the starter drug for the good food movement. Because, <laughs> you know, if all you've eaten is supermarket food your whole life, the food that's been shipped in, you know, unless yeah. you live in like the Southwest or the deep South, it's been shipped for thousands of miles. It's probably been sitting in a warehouse for days or even a couple or three weeks. Um, it's lost its freshness. It's lost its vitality. When you go to a farmer's market, you're often eating food that was picked yesterday. And when you taste that, you're tasting that food the way it's supposed to taste maybe for the first time in your life. And it's a game changer. It really is an epiphany. That's awesome. awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So much. Thanks. Yeah, of course. We'd love Thanks to talk for, about uh, this. You can tell. Thanks for <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or join our Discord and Facebook communities and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts as well as information about the team and the show on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There, you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing.